So basically, I'm going to read you three fashion stories, three fashion headlines, and you're going to tell me whether each story is faux, it's false, it's made up, I completely got it out of my head, or it's true. It's fashion. That's impossible. (laughs) Fashion is weirder than fiction. Okay. Are you ready for your first question? Go. I'm afraid. The phrase, I'm ready for my close-up, originated with 1990s supermodel Linda Evangelista. Is that faux or fashion? Bonjour. (laughs) Hi, I'm Michaela Bloomfield, and this is the Fashion League Podcast. Subscribe to the Fashion League Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Stop what you're doing and go subscribe. So, I launched the Fashion League podcast about five years ago. And it was mostly because I had changed careers from finance to fashion and I had been working in the industry for a while at this point. And I was kind of curious how everyone else landed here in fashion. Over the past several years that I've been producing this podcast, I recorded in New York City and Initially, I was recording from my apartment, and then I had a brief stint in a fancy recording studio, and then it was back to my apartment once the pandemic hit, and (laughs) during the pandemic, I made the huge decision to move to Paris. I'm married. I have a toddler who speaks more French than I do, by the way, at the moment, (laughs) And currently I'm working as a freelance writer and a digital strategist, and I'm also pursuing my doctoral degree at the Paris School of Business. I'm in the early stages of writing my dissertation on business model innovation in media and publishing, and (laughs) none of this is easy. All of it is very difficult, actually, but I must say I really love Paris, As a city and all the amazing people I've met so far in the past few months that I've lived here, and I'm really looking forward to my years ahead in Paris. For the next few podcast sessions, the Paris sessions, you'll hear from a wide array of Parisians that I find interesting who work in fashion. So I have an interview with Sierra Costa Noble, who is a global hairstylist and a international hair educator. I don't see enough of it in the States, but I don't see any of it here. And I say that for all of Europe, not just in, in Paris, in France, but just in all of Europe. It's as, it's, it's as if the demographic of people who have textured hair do not even exist, which is why I'm, I'm really dedicated to trying to make a change. I also have an episode coming up with Kim Ellery, who is a fashion editor turned fashion designer behind the celebrity coveted brand Ellery. I decided that my end goal and mission would be to relocate to Paris and show on the world stage, which is Paris Fashion Week. And of course, this episode, we have Louis Prigent. Louis is a film documentarian. Documentarian? (laughs) He basically 
goes to fashion shows and he's up close and personal with designers behind the scenes and also interviewing and getting those sound bites from the front row guests. This is a good interview. You'll enjoy it. Hey. <laughs> Hello, Michaela. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I'm flattered. Let's just start with, you have a really interesting career, obviously, and one that doesn't have like a traditional path. And I would like you to just describe your job to someone who has no idea about fashion, doesn't work in the industry. How would you describe what you do? Ooh, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm a, I'm a witness to, to what's happening in, in the, the fashion scene. I, I would say I'm a witness of fashion shows. So okay. I go to a lot of fashion shows. I'm a fashion show, I don't know, addicted uh, guy. My, my medium is really the fashion show. So the preparation of collections and the backstage and actual spectacle of fashion shows, like which is... Uh, Particular because I don't go a lot in factory in, in factories. For, I don't film a lot of factories. I really film the drama of fashion in the like almost Hollywood sense of it. Okay, so how did you get here? Let's just go on that journey of how you arrived to this career. So let's start with where are you from? Where did you grow up? The answer to that question is uh, the same as as I get from a lot of people, uh, meaning we don't really, a lot of people in fashion don't really know why we are there. Mm -hmm. It's just like uh, asking somebody who's in the chocolate industry and they're like, "Uh, I I guess I love chocolate. (laughs) 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 And it was innate, you know, it's something you didn't really, sometimes people go in fashion by, 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 I would say mistake, but but not a lot. It's like you have to have this uh, deep connection to the craft and to the... For me, it's really the aura of fashion and the, the mise-en-scène and this kind of stuff. I, I come from um, the background of agricultural family in mm-hmm. Brittany, west of France. My parents were cultivating artichokes and cauliflowers. So it's mm-hmm. not that I could have dreamed that I would work in fashion at some point because it was so far away. But my parents were very particular farmers because they were really always buying books, showing us uh, antique furniture, opening us, my brother and I, to aesthetics and music. And it's quite a strange thing that they did when you think they were cultivating artichokes. And then, and then I, I really, when I started writing in newspapers, I, I was really into, I wanted to cover fashion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a, a lot and then i started working for tv and in france for canal plus and then uh, arte which is a like a, a, a pbs kind of channel in france and i was really 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 wanting to to cover fashion and fashion shows so you mentioned books and music in your childhood like what were some of your favorite genres of music as a child what were some of your favorite books oh house music classical music in the English music, music that make, made you feel special, I guess. Mm-hmm. And books, it was lots of history books. I was really drawn to uh, history books. Do you have a favorite time period or what kind of history books were you reading? Oh, 18th century. 18th century. Carla <laughs> 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 Garfield told me, told me that it was the best uh, period and it may be a really good one, yes. And I really like Dutch furniture from the 17th century. (laughs) 
Dutch. Why do you laugh? I think that's really because it's hysterical. <laughs> because uh, I don't, I don't take it that seriously. I find it funny that I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a part of your, I guess, your brand is humor. So a couple things I want to ask you about that. So your first language is French. I'm a- Can you hear? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for me, I'm just learning French. And oh I- wow, good. <laughs> bon courage. I'm not trying to be the American forever that doesn't know how to speak French as I live here in France. So one of the things that I find really challenging is being funny in French. Do you? Ah, oui. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh, wow. maybe I'm overthinking it. Do you have or you just go with it? You're funny in both languages. I don't know. I really find it super mega charming when my friends from uh, other countries speak in French and they make the cutest mistakes. <laughs> and, I, and I really laugh at it, but not in a mean way because it's, it's poetry in a way. I think Americans or like people from all over the world trying to speak French m- make the, the, the cutest, funniest, funniest jokes that are some, sometimes not uh, voluntary. I really love it. So it, my, my approach to English is the same. Like, I don't care <laughs> that much. <laughs> I don't make that much an effort. <laughs> okay. I'm like, it's only a language. <laughs> I'm going to try to adopt that. <laughs> so going back to your early career, like when did you discover like your creative talents? Did schooling help you with that at all? Or how did you uncover your creative interests? My parents were very afraid that I would do an artistic career, but in the same time, they really wanted it. They really wanted me to do that. But there was a culture in France at that time. I grew up in the, I was born in 1973. So I grew up in my high school years were in the end of the 80s and beginning of the 90s. And uh, at the time, the culture in France was really like do math, 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 mathematics. Hmm. And uh, they wanted a, a country full of accountants, I guess. And so my parents were very afraid of an artistic career. So I was not allowed to, to go to the artistic classes, but the teachers were really nice enough to let me go. So I, I had like cinema and uh, editing classes, like, but uh, unofficial. <laughs> so that's why I always interview designers, fashion designers. I always ask, how were your parents? Mm-hmm. Hoping that parents of creative kids will watch the videos and learn that they should accept a creative child and nurture the the creativity, let a child draw or be dreamy or be let a child not dream of being an accountant. And I love accountants. I love my accountant. I'm not saying mean things about accountants. Yes. I, I think we should have both exactly. creative and accounting people. I agree. <laughs> Two creatives agree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you, why were you drawn to fashion? Why was I? Interestingly enough, I basically was an accountant. <laughs> no, c'est vrai? Wow. <laughs> yes, I was a financial analyst at an investment oh, bank wow. after undergrad. And I basically did that for my parents. And I hated it, obviously. And so I took some time to figure out what I wanted to do by going to grad school. So at grad school, I studied fashion, tried to figure out. Initially, I went in thinking I was going to be a buyer. And then 
who came out uh-huh. and worked in magazine publishing. And now I am a freelance writer and I host the Fashion Loop podcast. Good for us. Yes. So I wanted to ask you about like your video production process, like when you're creating these like behind the scenes experiences with designers, what is your process like? Would you describe it as like a reality show situation or is it more like a scripted drama? I did a a TV show called The Day Before that was with Sundance Channel in the US and a a co-production with Arte in France. And that was not scripted, but the, the American producers were really keen on having a structure, even acts and characters, which to my French, <laughs> as a French, I was like, really like, whoa, almost, I was very surprised by this approach. But in the same time, it, it gave really good drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's where I learned how to maybe build a structure and a narrative and arcs and, and dramatic arcs. When I do um, a documentary for for a TV channel, we have a budget, so we have this allows uh, uh, up to five weeks of editing, sometimes even more if it's a longer project. So you really have time to craft, to fidget, to add beats, to enhance the drama or the suspense or the longing for the viewer to to, to see. Uh, a really beautiful thing happening in front of him. When I do YouTube videos, which I really love, it's like we have five days to edit, sometimes 10 days to edit. I really don't want the editor to to work late at night. So it's really like regular days, which is unusual in the TV business. Usually people like a, a burnout situation when you work at late at night and you, you even don't sleep. And I don't like this kind of attitude. So it's really like nine to five, almost nine to five. It's more 10 to <laughs> 10 to six. Have you ever experienced that burnout yourself? And what did you do about it? There was really a culture of, uh, of like that in French TV when I started in the beginning of the, in the end of the nineties and beginning of the, 2000s and that can be a charm to the trance like state where that you get in when you don't sleep for two nights mm-hmm. and i can see the the idea of a deadline and you really need to do it and you really have to push yourself and it's quite a can be exciting but i, I don't think it makes for good editing in the end mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just tired mm-hmm. and excited and caffeine, caffeine, you know, just a, a big bowl of coffee. Your ego craves for this kind of states, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's mm, it's healthy for the your for anybody because I mean you're not clever. You're not that clever. I agree. <laughs> when you haven't slept, when you push people, like who is pushing you to do this? And I mean, there's a lot of questions, and <laughs> so I don't do that anymore at all. Except if there's a really like a panic, uh, if a machine crashes or something like that. Mm-hmm. But and I, I really try to, uh, when I see a fashion house do, still doing this kind of stuff, I try to f- make them feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> How do you make, I feel like that would be difficult. <laughs> mm, you can sometime. Okay. Mm. Um, <laughs> so 
Have you ever had like a big crisis? And could you talk about that? Like, have you ever lost footage or had any emergency? Always. I always lose footage. Always? <laughs> no, not always. But it's a worst thing that, uh, that can happen to you. No, but you always have te technical difficulties. Uh, like uh, Virgil Abloh gave me the best interview ever last July. And we realized uh, my card, the card in my, my, my camera crashed. And they were like, okay, we lost the interview. I was like, oh no. They said, okay, we're going to send the card to some guy who can repair it. But first I'm going to show you a YouTube video of how we would do it. And the guy was <laughs> was using, using a, a chalumeau. How do you say chalumeau? I have no Like idea. a huge flame on the card to repair it. Ah. <laughs> I was like, okay, so we are desperate. So I was really sad about losing that footage, obviously. And, but then... The, my, the second camera, Julien, who works with me, had filmed too. And in the beginning, the sound was not good, but we found this really amazing software, I guess, on the dark web that restored the the sound. So the, the interview is back. Oh, nice. So I was like, ah, oh, oof. But like, uh, yeah, a few weeks ago, the, the half of, this, uh, of our sound crashed. So I lost like uh, three good interviews. I have this amazing footage of Alexander McQueen. And he says, so if you watch the tape, he, say, he says, oh, hi, good evening. And th th then the next image is, thank you very much. It was great to talk to you. Bye. Ah. So we, uh, we, we Use what recorded the wrong things. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, la, la. I always tell this story and everybody's like, <gasps> yeah, we lost. Uh, and it was uh, after his really amazing uh, show that was uh, about the people dancing, you know, in a, in a circle. So, I mean, one of his greatest shows and the interview was lost. But you, we do those interviews really tired sometimes. Hmm. The Fashion Week schedule is already jam-packed and now you're carrying around all your filming equipment, running to show. What is that experience like? Do you space out? Like, how does your... <laughs> He's laughing. <laughs> totally space out. <laughs> yeah, people don't know, but sometimes, like, I, I film documentaries with a fever. That Some... You're talking about being over-caffeinated. This filming with a fever cannot be good. No, it was not good. I was younger and I could do it. Uh, now I'm 40, how old I am? 48. So I don't do it, obviously. And I never push my the teams I work with to do this mm. at all. We quiet things down. And sometimes we have a heavy ch schedule. Like sometimes we have a show at nine in the morning and another one at nine in, in, at night. But we, we really try to have a pause or to not work that much the next day. Or, but sometimes it's heavy, yes. Could you talk more about like managing your team and how you maintain a positive morale through like, these busy fashion month schedules it's like it's not really me i'm not like a manager like everybody's a manager in the team i guess mm -hmm. and it's just that we are driven with the passion fashion <laughs> fashion <laughs> the passion for fashion is real like julien i, I work with him and after the last show like usually it's uh, louis vuitton in on the paris fashion week calendar and he's still excited and he's like i want more I think that's the key is, is to really be excited by what you do when you start to be bored or not to be excited. But our luxury is to, we, we, we're not, we're not like some 
a lot of uh, our friends who are um, colleagues who are working for magazines, they don't have a choice to what they see. Mm -hmm. And we really have this great, great opportunities that we can, we can pick what we, where we go to. Oh. So we only go to exciting stuff in the end. Speaking of excitement, uh, what are you looking forward to in this upcoming Fashion Month season? What designers are you excited about? I'm excited to see the next Ludovic de Saint-Sernin show, who's showing during uh, uh, Women's Wear now in Paris. I'm excited to see, I hope we're going to see a lot of uh, good shows, inspired shows. I'm always excited to see Vuitton, Chanel, the big, big, big houses. I'm excited to see Kim Jones and Marie-Grazia Curie at Dior. Always. The big brands excite me. There's a new guy called Vine Santo, mm -hmm. who I really love. Lots of stuff. I'm excited by a lot of stuff. Loewe is really exciting right now. I mean, the last show was like mind-blowing. Rick Owens is in really good, good form these days too. We have this really luck, great luck that Paris looks like a Olympics every, every fashion month. The quality is stellar. The best. Yeah, every season. We don't have to wait uh, four years. <laughs> <laughs> we have Demna at Balenciaga. We have lots of really exciting stuff. Do you also pay attention to the celebrity culture around fashion? You mentioned Balenciaga and Demna. Are you paying attention to the Kanye saga around that as well? As long as uh, people are uh, on the front row, I'm, I'm filming that drama too. Mm -hmm. Trying to get uh, sound bites. I think it adds to the, to the magic. I think Catherine Deneuve at the first row of Saint Laurent really shaped my view of fashion every season. I was, as I was a kid, I you would see her on the news and the French news with quite clever sound bites about what she just saw. And so I'm a really strong believer of, uh, yes, yeah, celebrities adding their star power to the, to the drama. And it's funny, I discovered Blackpink through, through that, <laughs> the K-pop bands who are coming to the, to the shows. And the, it's, it's funny to see all, all those actresses now also like athletes coming to the shows and having an opinion. I was watching your video, the Dior video with Jisoo and all the people outside shouting her name. I'm like, mm. wow. It's really crazy. At Celine, when Lisa from Blackpink appeared at Celine, I was struck by the crowd. Like, wow. It's been, a re I don't remember seeing a crowd that big for just one star. Mm -hmm. It used to be that outside of Balmain, you would have a big crowd because they knew, the kids knew there were like cool pop stars there and cool top models. The Blackpink drama is, is different. It's just for one, one singer. Do you watch a lot of television or any television? What are you watching? Oh, like, um, I, I don't think my, my, my TV binging is really interesting. I, I watch the same boring stuff. The same boring as, stuff as everyone? Yeah. What's trending yeah. on Netflix? That's your... <laughs> I'm in the top 10. <laughs> okay. Watching the top 10 like everybody. <laughs> you document a lot of fashion, so... Do you indulge as a consumer? Is there a brand that you have affinity for that you're always shopping or not really? Can you imagine if I would do that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
I think uh, that's what I said in the beginning. Like I'm, I'm a witness. I'm mm -hmm. not really a consumer. Mm -hmm. I'm not a taste maker. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm at a fitting and I would, I, I and I tell the team, the other videographer and the sound guys, and the, if there's anybody from the team who's in the studio during a fitting or even earlier during the creative process, we never give our opinion. Never, ever. Because our, one, our opinion does, <laughs> is not important. And when we don't have the taste, the most interesting fashion shows for me are the ones that I don't get the, with fashion I wouldn't wear because it's where the creative input of the designer is the most maybe stellar or interesting. And yeah, I'm, I'm, re I'm really not a fashion editor. I'm not Edward Enningful or, <laughs> or some guy like that at all. I'm just a witness. You're just a witness. Well, Having fun and uh, talking to those people, but I'm, I'm really not into the, the style game. So I'm really I dress really casually. Why I was asking, I was like, maybe he has a favorite hoodie brand. I see you walking around in your very casual gear. No, I don't. I really don't have a a brand. Uh, um, no. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I never I never learned how to film. I started filming because the camera just because the camera grew small smaller mm. and i don't know my camera you should see my camera it's autofocus it's everything is automated i don't know how to do anything with it i i kind of know how to do the light now but that's all i'm really bad uh, technically and i don't care i just want a like a focused picture i'm not a photographer i don't have an aesthetic of, of, of the aesthetic of a photographer huh I just want to record the moment. It's a moment that interests me. To bear witness, as you say. Yeah, to really capture the moment, uh, capture mm -hmm. the drama, capture the fun, capture the seriousness, the technical difficulties, the crowd, the weight, the suspense. That's what I love, the aesthetic. It's funny that you say capture the seriousness because you have a couple of books humorous books about fashion so uh -huh. what sparked that idea to publish these books it really began in the early days of my career when i was working for liberation the french newspaper that's uh, a newspaper that had an attitude that was quite anti-fashion but in the same time they would write really serious profiles about designers like yoji yamamoto or jill sander or jean-paul gautier at the time. So it was in the end of the 90s and uh, they asked me to write about the Fashion Week. And so I decided to have inside of my pieces sound bites of people who are droning in fashion <laughs> and in Fashion Week. So it was like fun sound bites that I, I would overhear during uh, the, the Fashion Week in Paris. Like seven jokes like that every every day for during the the uh, during the fashion week so and i never i always kept writing down 
the funny the funny bits I hear or I even myself say because you 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 end up saying really funny stuff at some point because you're so lost into it. <laughs> Very often when you're at a fashion show, even if it's ten in the morning, they only have champagne. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, you're in a parallel universe, so everything is starts to be really funny. So I, I was always writing down stuff and I began tweeting them when Twitter was nice in 2013, I guess, just to a few of my friends, we were, we were following each other on Twitter. It was not a serious thing. And it, it became like this, yeah, this thing where, where I would hear like maybe sometimes up to 30 sentences a day during fashion week. And then it became a book. And then another one, it got out of end. <laughs> and why do you say when Twitter was nice? What happened on Twitter, in your opinion? Some guy with orange hair. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can skip that. The... So I, I migrated my sentences to Instagram. So now I put them in uh, Instagram stories. So we are now at my favorite part of the podcast. Ooh. <laughs> oh, or fashion are you ready for some fashion yes. trivia okay are you competitive do you like winning i'm not oh. I, not at all i didn't get that from you so <laughs> <laughs> so basically i'm going to read you three fashion stories three fashion headlines and you're going to tell me whether each story is faux it's false it's made up i completely got it out of my head or it's true. It's fashion. Oh, no, no. That's impossible. <laughs> fashion is weirder than fiction. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for your first question? Go. Okay. Oh, no, no. I'm afraid. The phrase, I'm ready for my close-up, originated with 1990s supermodel Linda Evangelista. Is that faux or fashion? Faux. It it's is from faux. from the movie from Billy Wilder, no? Yes! It's from Sunset Boulevard, the 1950s dark comedy. What's the name of the actress? I don't remember. Who says it? Norma Swanson. Ah, Gloria Swanson. Gloria Swanson, and her movie character was Norma. Excuse me. Voilà. Yay, um, one point! <laughs> you said, Ula. <laughs> you got this. This is in your, your realm. Okay. So, <laughs> your second question. The American models who participated in the 1973 Battle of Versailles fashion show flew to Paris on a private jet where no alcohol was allowed. Is that faux or fashion? Fashion. No, faux. There must have been uh, drinks, no? It was 73 and they were Americans. Mm. <laughs> mm. I almost got you. Okay, that is faux. The, all, all the American models and all the American designers flew together, but it was on a commercial flight. And the stories from Pat Cleveland, she was recalling how this would never be allowed on a commercial flight now. She was talking about how everyone is just walking all over the place, sitting on top of each other, drinking champagne the whole flight. And smoking, I'm sure. And smoking. She didn't mention smoking, but yes. I'm a lot sure of they were smoking. 1973? Of course. Okay, <laughs> you've already won. There was no fault at all. Okay, please, <laughs> your final question. Gigi Hadid started modeling at the age of two when she booked her first gigs for baby guests. Is that faux or fashion? Oh, I wish it's true. I hope it's true. So I'd say fashion. 
Oh my God! Do you want undefeated <laughs> or everything correct? Yes. Yay! I'm ready for for week two. Oh my goodness! So we are done with forward fashion. I do want you to give one piece of advice to our early career listeners who are either looking to get into fashion or pursue a creative idea that they have. Do you have any advice? My advice is once I saw in an American backstage woman who came to dress the models and another woman was screaming at her because uh, apparently they had been sent an email that they, they should be wearing only black. And the young woman coming for dressing the models were, was in total all over black look, but she had just a, a print of a little dove, a white dove on her shirt. Mm -hmm. So my advice is what I should have said to that woman who was getting screamed at, like, don't worry, laugh at the situation. This is a fake drama. You should wear your white dove, even if it's an all, all over black situation. Do not care about th th those people screaming at you with their fake rules. You're right. You're, you have the best outfit and don't let them terrify you. And be cool. Keep being cool. Keep wearing the white doves. Remember that fashion should be fun and not uh, a thing about rules, stupid rules of and dress codes and this kind of hierarchy stuff that's totally stupid. I love that. Don't be terrorized by fake drama. Laugh about it. Make them feel ridiculous when they're like that. Love it. Use the promo code RTRFASHIONLY to get 40% off your membership at Rent the Runway. A Rent the Runway membership gives you access to thousands of designer products from gala gowns to office wear to accessories and sunglasses. And it allows you to have a rotating closet while reducing your consumption and your impact on the environment. So that is RTRFASHIONLY promo code and you can use it at renttherunway.com. 